Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 122 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have results of a GDPR awareness survey of home workers carried out by Hayes Connor Listers. We then have news of a data breach at the EU Drugs Regulator. We then have a news from a company called VST Enterprises who have launched a COVID-19 digital passport. We then have a quick look at the EU data arrangements if there's no deal between the UK and the EU, which is looking increasingly likely as we now find ourselves just 18 days away from the end of the Brexit transition period. And we then look at what about data from the 1st of January to and from the Channel Islands. We then have news that the UK scientific research community is worried by the possibility of the UK billion third country status with regard to data transfers. And we then have news that Facebook has announced changes to the Messenger API to make it GDPR compliant. Then we have an update from the HMRC who revealed their data breaches during the 2019-20 tax year. And finally, we have news of a data breach at East Devon District Council which has revealed councillors' passwords. We hope you find this week's articles useful and informative. And as always, if you have any feedback, please just email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, we don't always have time to reply to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. We begin this week with the results from a survey carried out by Hayes Connors Listers. Regular listeners will be very familiar with Hayes Connor. We've spoken with them and indeed had an interview with them several times in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. The survey asked 2006 UK office workers a number of questions regarding data protection within their workplace. When asked about the transition to working from home, which of course has been a major influence on most people's working lives in 2020, one in ten said their company was not that quick to be ready for everyone to be working from home. One in ten gave a doubtful response that their company had prepared everyone to work from home, with one in four of those respondents saying their company had failed to make any preparations at all to protect company and client data from breaches since lockdown one. Forty percent of them were unsure if they had any safeguards in place since then. Around 25% of the respondents to the survey said they'd been using a personal laptop for remote work. Around 40% said they'd been using their work laptop for work and personal use. And 20% said they'd not been working on a secure network like a VPN at home. We find some of those figures quite surprising, especially the 20% who said they're not working on a secure network like a VPN at home. Our personal experience would be to suspect that that's an understatement and that many more people have been working on unsecured network from home. In terms of employee training, one in five said they'd received no data protection guidelines for working from home. One in five said they'd received no training on the proper handling of company data, GDPR compliance or cyber security measures, not just since they've been working at home, but indeed since they've been working at their company. And two in three employees who printed documents at home dumped these documents in their household bins to dispose of them, leaving them open to be seen by any passerby. And that is really, really storing up trouble for the future. One of the things which we mentioned way back when people started working from home, and we told our listeners here on the GDPR Weekly Show to do, and I hope many of you followed the guidance, was to ensure that your users who were working from home either were equipped with a cross-touch shredder, or 
that you arrange for a courier to collect documents from them at regular occasions to bring them back to a central location to be shredded. But it seems that those words may have fallen on deaf ears if the results of this survey are truly reflective of the UK business community as a whole. We're also concerned about the one in five who said they've received no training in GDPR at all. Obviously, we have a commercial interest here because one of the things we do commercially is provide GDPR training. And if you'd like details of our training, then please contact us via one of the methods coming up at the end of this article. But what I think it indicates and what we would see from our own personal observations is that back in 2018, when GDPR came in, there was a big emphasis on GDPR training. Everyone was having GDPR training. In fact, during the six months up to the 25th of May, we trained ourselves, something like 140 different organisations in GDPR. But then since then, it's dropped off. Some companies are good and have had refresher training in place, and we always recommend that companies have refresher training in place. But it's also important to catch those new joiners, those people who joined your organisation since the 25th of May 2018, who may have had no GDPR training at all. And even if they've had GDPR training at a previous job, the way you do these things might be slightly different, and so they might not be familiar with your processes. So I think that's something key to take up in the new year, and it's something which we will be concentrating heavily on in January here on GDPR Weekly Show, is suggestions of how you can get your staff trained and still keep them working from home. In terms of data breaches, two in five workers said their company had been affected by a data breach, one in five were unsure if their company had been affected by a data breach, and two in five said that their company had not suffered a data breach. Around two in five said that their company had engaged with guidance from the ICO. However, more worrying, and again this to us is of great concern, is that one in four of those workers completing the survey were unsure what the ICO was. Now that's concerning in itself, that 25% of the workers didn't know what the ICO was. But more concerning than that, was that one in 10 company owners and one in three company partners didn't know what the ICO is or does. Now, part of that you could argue is a communications exercise for the ICO, but equally, part of that again has to be down to training, and that's why we've decided to make training provision one of our main features in January's episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. But three immediate things we would say to you to make sure that your team are doing. One is that Sending emails is being sent via encrypted emails, i.e. checking your mail client that SSL is turned on. Obviously, check with your mail provider that SSL is turned on at their end too, otherwise it won't work. Do put serious consideration into setting up a VPN, a virtual private network, between your main systems and your employees who are working at home. And do consider hiring a data protection officer, and again, You can either do that internally or if you don't want the full expense of a new member of staff, then again, external DPO services is something that we provide here at GDPR Weekly Show. And again, if that's of interest to you, please get in touch with us. It costs far less than you might expect. And to join a phrase, if you think training is expensive, consider the cost of ignorance. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Europe's drugs regulator confirmed on Friday this week that data had been breached in the cyber attack that it had disclosed earlier in the week, while adding that a limited number of third-party documents were unlawfully accessed. The European Medicines Agency, the EMA, had not provided any details on Wednesday when it disclosed the cyber attack, 
but Pfizer Inc. and BioNTech SE had said that documents related to the development of their COVID-19 vaccine had been unlawfully accessed. The EMA said on Friday that concerned companies were being informed without naming them and that the breach had not affected its operations or timelines related to the evaluation and approval of COVID-19 vaccines and treatment. If we receive any update from the EMA on this, we will of course bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Just a Christmas reminder that there will be no GDPR Weekly Show on 27th December, but we will be back on 3rd January 2021. Happy Christmas from everyone at the GDPR Weekly Show. Join us in 2021 for some great new features. Alongside the excellent news this week that people have started receiving the vaccine for COVID-19, Manchester-based technology firm VST Enterprises has announced what it calls the first five-in-one digital health passport and wallet. Dubbed VHealth Passport, the solution has been developed to support governments and businesses to prepare for a return to normality as the vaccine is unrolled across the UK. The platform represents the latest efforts of VST to tackle the effects of the pandemic and comes after the company introduced biometric-backed digital passport in April this year. The VHealth Passport can be used to perform a series of actions including user authentication and top ID 19 test results and vaccinations input provided by all the major vaccination manufacturers. Speaking at the launch, VST Enterprises CEO Louis James Davis said... We developed and built the VHealth Passport and Health Wallet to be the most secure technology on the planet that you could use as a health passport, where you could combine your test status, vaccination record, boarding pass, airline ticket, musical sports ticket, all in one app. The VHealth Passport app features its own GDPR-compliant contact tracing capability, which reportedly uses anonymised data according to the concept of self-sovereign identity. With VHealth Passport, we wanted to provide functionality and greater mobility to allow citizens to return to work, be fit to fly, and return to sports stadiums, Davis explained. But at the heart of the technology was the ability to protect and respect the data privacy of the individual. To maximise security, the app is based on the V-Code security coding technology, which features a closed-loop system with end-to-end encryption and 2.2 quintillion collision-free codes. Unlike traditional QR codes, V-Code cannot be photographed or cloned. This is because the technology works via a tool and response system of information between the code and a web platform that verifies the location of the code, the user ID and the time and date. The lack of engagement and interaction by the public with government track and trace apps over the pandemic was over privacy, there was a security of data and the tracking of a person's live location, Davis said. This is why we've built a unique system in the vein of self-sovereign ID with the ethics of privacy and security by design. The VHealth Passport puts the citizen in control in a way in which they share information with who, when and where. In addition to their health pass vaccination record and COVID-19 test status, VHealth Passport users can also be able to share their credit score, work permit or visa and travel and event pass credentials. So we think this is a really exciting product and we look forward to being able to see it in action for real and we're trying to arrange that for January and bring you the results here on the GDPR Week Show. And now, the rest of this week's news. With just 18 days to go to the end of 2020, it looks very likely now that the UK will be exiting the Brexit transition period without a trade deal with the EU, and as a result, without a data adequacy agreement with the EU either. What does this mean? Well, it means that if you're a UK company, organisation, with clients or others that you deal with in the EU, then you need to appoint a EU representative, assuming you don't have an office yourself in the EU, by the way. 
Likewise, the other way around, if you are listening to this from somewhere in the EU and you have UK customers and you don't have a UK business presence, then you need to appoint a UK agent. And if you're outside of both, let's suppose you're listening to this from the US, but you have customers in the EU and in the UK, then you need to appoint a UK agent and a EU agent. The good news is that we can take care of all of that for you via a agreement we have with a similar company to ourselves in the Netherlands. So if that's of interest to you, please get in touch via the contact details that are coming up. And if you'd like more details about data as a whole after the 31st of December, then please do go back, check back through our archives and listen to episode 119 of the GDPR Weekly Show, which was a Brexit special. And also, we would recommend that you listen to next Sunday's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show because we're hoping to have an interview within that episode with someone who's been deeply involved at the EU end of the negotiations about data adequacy. And so we're hoping to speak to her and have her on next week's show, which should be a really interesting interview for everyone to listen into. Just one not totally related issue, but it's a question that's been asked of our help desk several times is were we aware what was happening with flights between the UK and the EU after the 1st of January if we leave without a deal? Well, the good news is, is that it has been agreed that there will be a further transition period of another six months for flights, so airlines have time to get themselves organised and adapt to the whole big new world we're going to find ourselves in. So if you have a flight booked between now and June 2021, don't worry about the fact that it looks like we're going to exit Brexit with no deal because your flight will still operate. You will still be able to go. All that, of course, subject to the usual caveat now that it depends on COVID-19 regulations as to whether the flight will operate or whether indeed you will be allowed to get on it with or without quarantine at either end. But that's something we can't foresee. That's something you need to check near the time of your flight. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. We've spoken a lot in the last few episodes, and especially in episode 119, about data adequacy and what's going to happen if on the 31st of December the UK finally completely exits from the EU from the transition period and doesn't have a data adequacy agreement in place. But we've only spoken about the UK and Europe. One thing which was raised with our help desk this week was, what about the Channel Islands? What about Guernsey, Jersey and Sark? Well, it's an interesting situation because the GDPR regulations, EU 2016-679, which we all know at the moment as GDPR, does not have a direct effect in the Channel Islands. Although Guernsey and Jersey have both adopted legislation based on GDPR and certain controllers and processes are subject to its extraterritorial reach. Now, Guernsey and Jersey are in the unusual situation that they've already been granted data adequacy by the EU. That was actually granted way back in 2008 and then renewed when GDPR came in and is due for review sometime during 2021 but not on January 1st. And it's not anticipated either by Guernsey, Jersey or the EU that there'll be any change in that adequacy status with regard to the Channel Islands. So what I hear you say, surely with the UK, the Channel Islands are a crown dependency and therefore, surely we just can carry on transferring data to and from the Channel Islands and carry on dealing with Channel Islands citizens? 
just as we always have? Well, I'm afraid not. Because if the UK does not have an adequate status and is a third country to the EU, the UK will also become a third country to Guernsey and Jersey. And in that regard, in Guernsey, on the 9th of November this year, a policy letter was published by the states of Guernsey requesting the approval of a draft ordinance, the Data Protection Authorised Jurisdiction Ballywick of Guernsey Amendment Ordinance 2020. Approval of the draft ordinance will ensure that the current regime regarding the free flow of personal data between Jones and the UK is maintained until the end of 2021, in the event the UK does not receive a data protection adequacy decision by the end of the transition period on 31st December 2020. This draft ordinance is due to be debated in Guernsey on the 16th of December 2020. In Jersey, the Data Protection Jersey Law 2018 was amended to allow the free flow of data from Jersey to the UK during the transition period and the Information Commissioner is monitoring the position. So what does all this mean? It means, in reality, just as you're going to need to have some standard contractual clauses in place to transfer data to and from the EU after the 1st of January, you're also going to need to have those clauses in place to transfer data to or from the Channel Islands, or indeed to hold data about Channel Island citizens. So if you're a UK company and you have customers in the Channel Islands, now is the time to be talking to someone like ourselves about getting the changes that you need into your data privacy policy. So we'd be delighted to help you on that. Just contact us using the details, which you'll hear several times during this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Another area that could be affected if we fail to achieve a deal with the EU on cross-border data flows is the whole arena of UK scientific research, which researchers warned on Monday this week could find itself in a deeply problematic place after this year ends. Without an adequacy agreement, it will become much, much more challenging to do research, said Beth Thompson, Head of Policy and Advocacy on UK and EU at the research charity Wellcome Trust, speaking at an event hosted by the Institute of Government. Thompson said that while researchers deal mainly in anonymised data, sometimes they may be required to process personal data. Speaking about the necessary changes that will be needed to add to privacy policies and agreements and contracts, Thompson said that this administrative burden of extra bundle of GDPR bureaucracy on labs and universities could be quite onerous. Thompson called for a research-specific carve-out should no overarching EU-UK deal on data be possible. There has to be some way to facilitate or oil the wheels on this, she said. Richard Torbert, Chief Executive of the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry, said he agreed with this argument. It's really essential, he said. Torbert represents around 120 companies that perform extensive research in the UK and Europe. We do clinical trials that are usually not confined to the island of Britain. Without data adequacy, it would be incredibly complicated, he said. Behind this is also the fact that the UK is also negotiating with the EU for associate membership of the €85 billion Horizon Europe Research Programme due to get underway next year. This status would see the UK follow Switzerland, Norway and 14 other non-EU countries in gaining many of the same rights as EU member states. Even in the event we don't strike a deal with the EU, the government has made it clear that it would hope to participate in Horizon Europe programmes open to third countries, said former Science Minister Joe Johnson, who is of course the brother of Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Researchers also pointed out that if the UK is given third-party status, then as a third country, the UK would no longer be eligible for three of the EU's major funding programmes for research, the European Research Council, the Mari Sadowska-Turi Action Grants, and the European Innovation Council. 
the UK government is worried that it could end up as a significant net contributor to European research funding with little say over how it's administered and little guarantee of winning a similar number of grants that it manages as an EU member. Still, allowing the UK to continue to participate in Horizon Europe would be in the EU's interest given the UK's strength in research, said Pastor Lamy, former Director General of the World Trade Organisation, who has previously advised on Horizon Europe. Even if, as Lamy noted, Brit- Brexit had inflicted quite a lot of damage to the knitted tissue of the European research area. Failure to secure associate status to Horizon Europe would see the UK rushing to create replacement research programmes, Joe Johnson said. Joe Johnson sought to deflect some of the criticism from the government over this by saying that the research community hasn't really engaged as meaningfully as it ought to have done. We suspect that final comment will bring out some strong comments in reply from the research community. Once we have more certainty on what's happening in terms of the Horizon Europe, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Just a Christmas reminder that there will be no GDPR Weekly Show on 27th December, but we will be back on 3rd January 2021. Happy Christmas from everyone at the GDPR Weekly Show. Join us in 2021 for some great new features. If you use the Facebook Messenger API, either within an internal application in your business or organisation, or you make use of something like Hootsuite to schedule Messenger posts, then you should be aware that Facebook is warning of impacts to the Messenger API this week due to changes it's having to make to comply with GDPR. In a statement, Facebook said, As part of our efforts to comply with new privacy rules in Europe, i put that slightly in brackets, it's not exactly new, they've been around for over two years now but anyway as part of our efforts to comply with new privacy rules in europe we're making updates that will impact some developers and businesses that use our messenger api beginning december the 16th several messenger apis will be unavailable for developers and businesses in europe and for people in europe who connect with businesses globally and indeed we know that some users are already seeing warnings when they're in messenger using the api a little box pops up and says that due to new privacy rules in europe messaging and messaging related insights such as shares are unavailable right now. Specifically, Facebook says that the changes will impact Europe pages in all chats, pages with admins in Europe in all chats, and any chats with people in Europe. So there are some wide-ranging implications which will impact virtually any brand that uses the Messenger API and has followers or connections within Europe. Why Facebook chose in December the 16th to bring these changes in is unclear, but nonetheless Facebook says that's the date that they will come into effect. A spokesman for Facebook said, given the impact listed previously, we recommend providing an alternative experience using quick replies, text and inline URLs for web views for the impacted scenarios. We've asked Facebook for some more information on this change, but they haven't come back to us at the time of going to broadcast. What's up, Mike? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I'll try it now. Here in the UK, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs have confirmed that they reported 11 data breaches to the ICO in the 2019-2020 tax year. The 11 breaches were largely caused by human error, with two the result of criminal activity directed at HMRC. In total, around 23,000 people are believed to have been affected by these breaches. The most serious incidents or national insurance letters with incorrect details of a 16-year-old sent out. The error could have revealed previous birth names, the identity of adopted children, as well as the identity of transgender children. This incident alone may have affected up to 18,864 people. A fraudulent attack was able to snare employee details of 64 people through three PAYE schemes, potentially affecting up to 573 people, 
while two smaller incidents were able to potentially compromise less than 100 people. In these breaches, a completed Excel spreadsheet was issued by mistake instead of a blank one. The addresses and property details of up to 88 people were potentially compromised. And finally, a cyber attack could have revealed self-assessment repayment records for up to 25 people. HMRC states that the remaining seven events were largely limited to revealing the details of a single person. Of these 11 incidents, nine of them were caused by human error, including one where paperwork was left on a train. HMRC said it also had 15 other minor personal data-related incidents that it did not need to report to the ICO. These included the loss or insecure disposal of electronic devices or paper documents. We have to say from our own perception, that seemed an incredibly low number of other data breaches that didn't need to be reported to the ICO. So we would suspect that it's possible that not all data breaches within the HMRC that don't attract the level that needs reporting to the ICO are actually being reported at all. Nonetheless, HMRC said, we investigate and analyse all security incidents to understand and reduce security and information risk. We actively learn and act on our incidents, for example, by making changes to business processes relating to post moving throughout HMRC and undertaking assurance work with third-party service providers to ensure that agreed processes are being carried out. We also educate our people to reinforce good security and data handling processes through award-winning targeted and departmental-wide campaigns. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. And finally this week, we travelled to East Devon, where a significant password data breach involving East Devon councillors has been uncovered and is now under investigation by the ICO. The password is used by at least 37 of the 60-strong East Devon District Council were briefly made publicly available as a result of the data breach that happened at the start of November. The councillors say that swift action was taken to rectify the breach, with councillors having their passwords reset. It is understood that Strata, at some stage, took the decision to add the passwords to the individual councillor profiles, which were subsequently shown on the council website. It also meant all the data within the councillors' emails, which could have included confidential information such as probation reports, medical info and electoral register data, could have been accessed by other council members. The Strata team acted quickly to reset the passwords and notify the information to Mr's Office of the breach and a full report would come before Councillor's Cabinet in 2021. Councillor Paul Miller, who discovered the initial data breach, asked questions about the issue at Wednesday's full council meeting. He asked Councillor Jess Bailey, portfolio holder for corporate services, what her assessment of the recent significant password data breach for members, what steps she's taking to ensure that appropriate safeguards are introduced to prevent the same or similar situation from happening again, and when will Cabinet receive a report. In response, Councillor Bailey said, While I recognise it's a serious matter, I've been sufficiently reassured that such that my view of the actual risk of anything underworld having occurred is extremely low. Quick and early responsive action was taken to rectify the issue acknowledged by the ICO, and I understand that the issue is very specific and as such is highly unlikely to result in any wider implications for the rest of the council's systems. The investigation report from Strata, which will come to Cabinet in the near future, will address this and I have been reassured that the Council's Data Protection Officer will be ensuring that the recommendations and any mitigation actions identified are appropriate and that they will be implemented. As a supplementary question, Council Miller asked for a yes or no answer to the question of can you offer a categorical assurance that my emails and the data of many residents inside those emails were accessed by a third party. Councillor Bailey replied there will be a report coming through and once that's available we'll it will be brought through Cabinet, to which Councillor Miller replied, that's a no then. So we wait and see what happens on this. We are expecting an update from East Devon Council after their Cabinet meeting sometime in 2021, 
when this report is presented to them. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Until next time, bye-bye.